improve their communication skills so they can help more people and help people more. I'm your host Dr Martin Harvey. I'm a chiropractor and I'm an expert in communicating the value of chiropractic so that you can help more people and help people more. So uh, under the influence today is all going to be all about referrals and what it takes to have a referral based practice, what it takes to create an experience that people want to recommend you to their friends, their family and their colleagues. So before we get to that, one little piece of housekeeping, the Communicating um, to Improve Patient Care Seminar in partnership with the Australian Chiropractors Association announced the dates last week. Um, the Just to restate them, 20th of February, I'm going to be in Launceston. It's a one-day program, uh, so either people in Tassie or if it's a great time to go down to Tassie for the weekend, I'll certainly be down there checking out Mona and some great wines and food and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Melbourne, 6th of March, phenomenal time of year to come to Melbourne, so beautiful autumn in Melbourne. Um, Sydney, we're not quite clear on a date. Originally it was 13th of March, still trying to look for a date that fits in. So I will be in Sydney, but the date is unclear. Uh, in Brisbane on the 3rd of April. So again, uh, people Queensland based, or if you are looking to escape the cooler weather in the Southern States, great time to head to Queensland and make a, a long weekend of it. 1st of May, I'm in Adelaide. 14th of May, over in beautiful sunny Perth. So, referrals. How do you get them? How do you screw it up? What do we need to do? So, first of all, I really think there's a huge advantage in setting up your practice to be all about referrals. Not that you should never do anything to, uh, in terms of outreach or marketing to people who aren't connected to your practice, but there's a tremendous advantage both in terms of your retention um, and your practice growth if you focus on the things that create referrals. What do I mean by that? So we often think that people would refer to us if they think you could help a friend, colleague or, um, or, or family member. And that's simply not true. What the influence literature tells us is that the first contemplation that people have when they're looking to recommend somebody isn't necessarily whether you're going to be able to help their friend. I know it seems counterintuitive, but it's the truth. You see, we have, we've spoken about it before on the podcast. We are fundamentally, genetically, and particularly psychologically, we are wired to be social creatures. And we are wired, we have the wiring of a cave person of a hunter-gatherer who would have lived in a small tribe. Um, Dunbar's number says that that might be up to about 150 people. And we are really, really wired for that social dynamic and how we look within the tribe. Because if you think of um, the survivability of, of a tribe, it's incredibly dependent on social cohesion. So if you think of other creatures, if you, you're an animal, you've got claws or teeth or big strong muscles, you can run fast, any of those sort of things. Humans are 
pretty crappy in all of those areas, but what we do have that gave us a survival advantage is the ability to coordinate and be cohesive as a social unit. And so our survival, our ability to stay alive is dependent on social cohesion. And that's thought to be the reason why we have this disproportionate regard for what other people think of us, how we look socially. So you may have a patient client practice member who got phenomenal results but will not refer to you, will not recommend you to their friends or their family or their colleagues because they're concerned about how they're going to look as the person who recommended them to you. Um, so we need to sort of unpack that if we want to be having more referrals. And now I think having more referrals is a phenomenal thing because first of all, it's a much less stressful way to practice if you get a lot of referrals because you're not constantly having to go out there and generate, having to work for every single person that comes in. I think um, the analogy is often given of the difference between hunting and farming. You know, you want to, hunting, you go out and you get what you can pick up on that day. Farming is where you're building relationships that pay dividends over a long period of time. And I think setting things up to have a bit of a balance, but certainly you want that stability that comes with having a farming oriented practice where you've got this constant growth of people coming into your practice that you don't actively have to go out there and get. Um, it also is less stressful because generally people who are referred to you are referred by people who already know and love what you do and so the person who's coming to see you is coming in with expectations of what you provide. We've spoken a lot in the podcast about how there's often a mismatch of expectations because of the cultural expectations of healthcare generally, but also the cultural understanding of chiropractic. So if somebody's coming in expecting that it'll be a one visit thing and they'll get cracked and whatever else, and you do something different to that, you have more of a long-term vision or you have a different technique, then dealing with people who are coming in with a uh, alternate uh, uh, expectation to what you provide, that's going to be uh, make things more stressful versus people who are coming in referred specifically for what it is that you do that's unique. That's going to be much less stressful approach. So less stress is one part of it. More predictable growth is the second part of it. You always have the option of going hunting, of doing external stuff over the top, but you've got this baseline of uh, predictability and growth and sustainability of your practice if you built it to, to generate a lot of referrals. I think if we look at it though in terms of the value that people are perceiving in what you provide, the number of referrals that you get every week, every month, every year is a really solid indication of how well you are meeting the market's expectations or in fact exceeding the market's expectations. So the, I, there's, a, there's a metric that's used in marketing um, called the one number or the net promoter score, which is essentially one of those surveys where people are asked how likely on a scale of zero to 10 are you to recommend this service to a friend, family, or colleague. And it's, the best, it's one of the best ways of predicting growth in the future. So it 
captures this idea of if people are likely to put their reputation on the line to endorse you, then it's highly likely that you are going to grow in the future. But if we look then at, um, so we've got a lot of upsides to having a, a referral-based practice. I also think that if we focus on the number of referrals and making sure that we are referral worthy, it actually forces us to focus on the most important things. So I mentioned at the beginning of this discussion that we're social creatures, how will this make me look? Um, but the, the second part to that is because of that need for to look good in front of others, we are very, very risk averse. We don't want to look bad. We'd rather not recommend somebody if we're not 100% sure. And so for somebody to see you as somebody that they want to refer to, they not only have to be highly, highly satisfied, they also need to see you as low risk. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. So if we talk about highly satisfied people, they can't just have their expectations met. They come in with back pain, they come in with headaches, they come in hoping to conceive a baby. If their expectations are met, that's not remarkable. They got what they paid you for. So to be highly satisfied, we've got to use the communication approaches that we're always talking about here and we're um, teaching in the um, communication programs to create a higher perceived value of chiropractic. And the core of that is the ideas we've spoken about where we've got to be aware of what their level of health awareness is. Are they at a pain level of health awareness? Are they at a prevention level of health awareness? Or are they at a prevention level of health awareness? And then we've got to tie the value of chiropractic, not just to helping them with whatever symptomatic goals or prevention goals or performance goals they've explicitly told you about, but we've got to connect that with the things that they value, the things that they have to do, the things that they love to do, the things that they see as their role or identity to do. Because once we can create the connection between chiropractic and those things that are super valuable to them, things they love to do or see as their role or identity to do, then chiropractic is a very of a very, very high value. And in the programs that focus on this, um, they, we focus a lot on once people connect chiropractic to being a better mother, being enjoying golf more, being able to earn more income, those sort of things, then their expenditure of time, money, and energy on chiropractic stops being an expense and becomes an investment because it's going towards the things that they are the highest of their values. Tie that into referrals, though, and other people who share those values, the people who kind of flock together, they're going to look good because they're going to be able to be the cool person who connected them with something that they can be confident that it's going to add value to that person's life because they know what their values are. I hope that made sense. So refer, if somebody's going to refer to you, they've got to be highly satisfied. And the core of that satisfaction is delivering great care and then having really elegant communication along that journey that people have through the practice. And so the way that I've structured the communication training that I provide is at the beginning, we'd have that retention recipe approach of setting up the first 12 visits, the first couple of visits, and then a reassessment to connect with those uh, levels of health awareness and also to start that transition through those levels of health awareness and connect with their uh, values. Um, and then we'd have a daily interactions workshop where we're having a template of 
every single day we're creating connection and communicating value that's unique to that person. And then we add on to the end of that, well, what do we do once people have started to make that transition on an ongoing basis, which is the, the, the matrix workshop. Um, the second part of that though, is we can use all of those communication approaches to increase the perceived value, get highly satisfied patients, clients, or practice members, but the second part of it, if people are super risk averse, we've got to de-risk our service. So what do I mean by that? So if people see you as risky, even if they're highly satisfied, they're not going to recommend you to them. They're not going to recommend you to their, uh, to their tribe. Um, and there's a couple of ways that we can do that. First one is inconsistent service. If sometimes they come in and you're super focused and attentive and you listen to them and you provide care and uh, they have a great experience, but then the next time you're a bit distracted or you're telling them about what you did on your weekend and they feel like you're not really paying attention to them, they're not going to refer to you. If they come into to your practice and sometimes the front desk person's super friendly and engaging and sometimes they don't seem to even get an acknowledgement or a smile from them, they're not going to refer to you because they can't, it's a risky thing. They might look bad if they, if you come in on a day where people are off their game. Um, there's also the thing of running on time. Like if sometimes you're on time and they can be in and out and increasingly time is people's uh, least um, or most valuable resource because it's the thing that is in uh, shortest supply. Um, if you sometimes you run really late, then that's going to kill your referrals. The second part of riskiness then is um, what the thing that I really want to focus on here is when things are socially awkward. So I'm going to give a non-chiropractic example and then loop back around and make it relevant to chiropractic. Let's say you had adult incontinence. So you have a health problem that would have a really big impact on your life. It would impact your social life. It would impact your family life. It would have a big impact on a whole bunch of different areas. And now let's say you found a fabulous product, uh, an adult diaper, an adult nappy that was able to uh, handle your incontinence in a way that allowed you to get Great, get back to doing the things that you have to do, that you love to do and see as your role or identity to do. You could be tremendously satisfied with that um, product, but you're not likely to bring it up and recommend it to the people in your tribe because it's socially awkward to bring it up. Now, looking at it from a, through a chiropractic lens, where do we create this? And where we create this is where we are really anti-medical or too alternative in our commentary on other issues. Now, hear me out here, because I'm not saying that you can't have an opinion about big pharma, about drugs, about COVID, about anything else. I think we have a responsibility to offer an alternative voice, but the way that we do it determines whether we're seen as risky or not. If we are all fire and brimstone and anti-medical and aggressive, then that creates a concern that we, that in our patients, clients, or practice members, they might be okay with it, but it creates a sense of risk of, oh, I'm not sure how my work colleague would feel about that. I'm not so sure about how my auntie would feel about that. Would they be offended? Would they think this person's too wacky and too extreme? 
So the way that we can have our cake and eat it too in this situation, the way that we can have an opinion but not have people feel like, oh, it's too risky to refer to you, is to use nuanced communication, the sort of stuff that we've spoken about in terms of handling difficult situations and, you know, coincidentally is the topic, is the whole focus of that difficult situations workshop where we, if we are expressing opinions about things that may offend people, may make them wrong, may be different to their current understanding of what the state of play is, then we need to be extra nuanced with that. And in particular, we need to know how to use permission. Would it be okay if I offered a different perspective? And yes and approaches. Yeah, look, I can see that um, that's the way a lot of people do it. And another way of uh, viewing this situation is X, Y, Z. So if we want to have a lot of referrals, if we want to have people seeing great value in us, then we need to do a phenomenal job at communicating the value of chiropractic and we need to be super good at communicating controversial areas in a way that doesn't create a sense of risk or of us being super um, alternative and um, rabid in our beliefs. We've got to be a little bit more nuanced. So moving on from that, I'm often there is often the criticism that if you focus a lot on uh, just referrals that you're ignoring all of the community who hasn't been able you know isn't touched by that that we need to be if we want to make a worldwide big impact then we need to be doing other things and I agree focusing on referrals just makes sure that you've got the bucket right it makes sure that you are creating highly satisfied advocates for your service um, and you can add on top of that and do community outreach and do talks in groups and do whatever other marketing you want to do. However, I also want to make a case for that creating a truly remarkable referral worthy service in your practice actually is the best way of creating a worldwide impact. And I want to use the example of David Chang. So David Chang has a restaurant in New York called Mamafuku Co. Now, I understand they've had a bit of a uh, refurb and the layout's a little bit different, but I went there uh, probably 10 years ago and it was the most phenomenal restaurant experience I've ever had in my life. And if you were ever in New York and get, had an opportunity to go to Mamafuku Co, I would highly recommend it. So I am absolutely willing to refer people there because I know you're going get to get a, have a phenomenal experience and I want to look like the cool guy who recommended it to you. So in the era that I went there, there were 12 seats all sit seated around a bar and there were two sittings. So only 24 places a night and it was the hardest restaurant in the world to get into because the only way you could get into it was to get up at well, what was 10 a.m. New York time, which is I think 2 in the morning um, Melbourne time at the time that I was trying to get in and essentially go into an online lottery to try and get into it. You couldn't get be you know the president of the US and get a, a, rec a reservation there. It was this strictly this online lottery. Um, but people would the reason there was such huge demand for it was the people who'd been there would rave about it. Now he didn't have to pay anybody, didn't need to tell anybody to recommend their friends that we wanted to do it because we looked cool by being the person who knew about it first. But then when we, by creating this remarkable experience, he's then been able to leverage it into other restaurants. He has other Mamafuku restaurants elsewhere in New York and all around the world 
that carry this same philosophy that he has at Co, which is a combination of really uh, low-level tasty food with really high-level technique. And he's then translated that into another, uh, into a TV show on Netflix um, called Ugly Delicious, which has that same philosophy baked into it, ugly and delicious, so that that's almost street food combined with really high-level technique and um, understanding a nuance that comes from the chef's perspective. So this sort of high-brow high, uh, high and low-brow blended together to create a phenomenal experience. Um, so the comparison there is what David Chang did was create focused first on creating a phenomenal experience that made it remarkable, that people wanted to remark upon it, and then he leveraged from there, which I think is what we need to do in chiropractic. We need to do focus on our communication of unique value to people so that they are wowed by the experience that they have in their body. And then from there, we earn the right for them to be advocates for us. And that also gives us the access to um, bigger stages to really have an impact. So if we sort of look at everything that we've tried to discuss today, I wanted you to get out of this, the idea that focusing on referrals is a great way of holding ourselves accountable to creating uh, a practice that will thrill and delight people. And because if we thrill and delight people, that's the way that we earn the right to have a big impact on the world around us. So thanks for joining me on Under the Influence today. I will catch up with you guys real soon. Thanks for listening to the Under the Influence podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you can catch all future episodes of the Under the Influence podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, then you will love the online program, The Retention Recipe. It's all about communication strategies that you can employ in somebody's first 12 visits that help transition them from a pain level of health belief to a prevention level of health belief and open up the opportunities for them to see chiropractic as part of a performance or wellness lifestyle. Check it out at insideoutpractices.com.